Hello and welcome to Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast. I'm your host, Pam Durant. Today on the podcast, I have a very special guest, Tino Tenda Zikiti, and everyone calls him Tino. I met Tino at the ESPAD meeting in Abu Dhabi in October, which is just almost a little bit over a month ago. And we, I tell you the story of how um, I met him in, during our interview, but Tino's a really special person and doing so much advocacy and so many things for people with diabetes. He's a certified diabetes educator. He's a DDoc Voice alumni and patient advocate. He's a young leader in diabetes for the International Diabetes Federation. And look out for him if you're going to the meeting that's coming up in Portugal. You'll see him there. He will be speaking there. He's an ambassador for the Zimbabwe Diabetes Association. He's also a digital advocate with T1 International and the Africa Diabetes Alliance. He's co-chair member for the committee for ISPAD and the ambassador for Genius ISPAD. And he's vice president of public relations for Broadcom Toastmasters and an ambassador for the Diabetes Center Burn and also a consultant for Essentia Diabetes Care. And I think actually, since he sent me this bio, he's probably got a few more um, titles to add to that. Tino is such a big advocate, and I, I had not heard of him before. I don't know why I hadn't until I, I met him in the ISPAD meeting. So I can't wait for you to hear about all the work that he's doing and his vision for the future. And please sit back and enjoy the show. So Tino, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I'm really, really excited that you're here. I'm very excited that we met very recently at the ISPAD meeting. So for those of you listening, I'll just tell you the brief story. I went to the DDoc dinner one night uh, during the ISPAD meeting that we had last month here in Abu Dhabi and sat down. And then across from me came Tino and we had a really lovely evening conversation and I learned a lot more about Tino and his mission and diabetes in Zimbabwe, um, also what DDoc is doing, but I'll let him tell it to you because it's much more interesting. Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It was amazing getting to know you and the things that you're doing in the UAE. I mean, that is amazing. So inspiring. It motivates us even for other caregivers that are going to be watching you doing your thing. That's amazing. Thank you so much for taking it to heart with the passion that you now have. And so, like, did you want me to speak about DDoc? I think, actually, it would be good. Why don't we start from the beginning of your story? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself. When when were you diagnosed? And anything else right. that you want to share about your journey? Thank you so much. Right. That's a beautiful question, indeed. So, like, Tino said that it was diagnosed with diabetes or people call it sugar diabetes yeah in Zimbabwe in Africa really I was diagnosed in 2010 after Christmas I mean imagine that after Christmas the things that would have to happen mm. during Christmas times that kind of a thing I had to like I had so much to drink I didn't want to eat anything because already there were signs and symptoms that I was diabetic but nobody could tell because there was no case of a diabetes in my family so it was sort of like a, a troublesome thing. I wasn't really comfortable, couldn't breathe properly. Of course, it was DKA that I had. I mean, because 
I had the signs like for about uh, 10 months or so, I felt that I wasn't okay. I was losing weight. I wish I could have the picture now to show you how it was. But maybe people can look it up on my website. It's there. It was really terrible, really. So then my family just said, okay, fine. How about if we go with him to the clinic? Because I was actually in our rural area. I mean, that's a cultural thing that we do here in Zimbabwe to say when it's Christmas time, we go to the village, that kind Mm. of thing. And then we went to the clinic. Fortunately, fortunately, the guy that was at that clinic, because I know there are still cases of misdiagnosis, but he could tell. To say, I think this is diabetes. I think you'd have to take oh, him to a proper medical facility just so the doctors can tell what's happening because I know things are not okay with him. I think I have to take him there. So day after, I went to the urban seat. I mean, because they have proper things, a bit, not so much, but it's a bit nice. So when I was taken there, that's when they said um, his ketones are high, highly acidic. So he's diabetic, but then Maybe the doctor didn't know so much because he's a general practitioner. My family kept on bringing me yogurts because I was saying, I need yogurts. I needed something sweet. Though I was on the drip, he could let my parents to give me food. And I was like, how is this diabetes? I mean, I, now I can ask the question to say, how was he letting me do all these things? If he knew that I was diabetic, why was he letting me taking all these things? So it's the thing with the knowledge that general practitioners normally have. So that was the case. And then... From 2010 up to 2019, I didn't want to talk about diabetes. I didn't want to do anything. Then I got engaged and started to getting involved in 2019 when I'd met other people like me that had mm. the same passion. So yeah, that's briefly about me. And the first person that you saw that had diabetes, was that in Zimbabwe? No. no. Like in Zimbabwe, usually we have so many people, they are type 2 diabetes. I couldn't even relate. I mean, so many people mm-hmm. would come to my family to say, hey, if this is the case, but they were taking pills, we could not really relate. Though, of course, they were giving us advices, but they were not so much because I didn't want to listen to them. But I would pass out usually during the morning. I would fail to wake up because of severe hypos. But the first people that, like, when I started to appreciate, like, started wanting to do something, getting involved in advocacy, that was when I was chosen to be the ambassador for Zimbabwe Diabetes Association in Ethiopia, where other oh. young leaders would be. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. They were vibrant. They knew so much. They knew their things. And then I think that was the start of everything, the beginning of everything. That's when I started to say, hey, I think I can also use my voice to do something good. So here we are now. From there, things started happening. Yeah. Amazing. And and you you are such a great advocate um, since I've started following you and the things that you're doing and it's it's really good. So I think you're probably helping a lot of people in Zimbabwe and outside of Zimbabwe as well. I mean, really very inspirational. And how many people? So now that it's been a few years and you're very much into advocacy. Are you finding, are there a lot of type ones in Zimbabwe or do you have an organization? Is the, and is the number growing like we see in other parts of the world as well? Uh, let me start by saying this. Uh, the bad part of everything about diabetes, not just in Zimbabwe, but in Africa, because I'd like to give that mm-hmm. background. We don't really have um, proper statistics in terms of who's living with diabetes. We usually based on estimations that are collected by the IDF. And I know like in Zimbabwe, we don't have like the proper uh, statistics that are up to date. 
So yes, I mean, in our community, like Zimbabwe Diabetes Association, where I'm a volunteer, like we only see people, like usually when they go to the hospital, when they get diagnosed, they'll be referred by the doctors to say, hey, you have to go to this community. They will help you in such an, a way that kind of, and usually I go to the association just speaking with the people because they usually they come. They say, hey, we had about your association. What do you usually do? So when people are coming to the association, they need help, like sort of like how they can access drugs. But if their family is well enough, they don't need to come. Usually they don't even come. They say, hey, we can manage on our own. So people that mm-hmm. come, they're the people that really need the help. So I cannot say really we have so many type ones. Most of them, they are adults that are living with type 2. Of course, they're taking insulin. But we just have like um, a small number of people that do come to the association, which about, I think I've registered about 3,000 or so. That's and a lot. Some, they, might not, they might have already died. Sorry to say, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, not a, it's not a proper way to use. Because, I mean, how can we still have like the statistics from 2000 and? 10 up to now i mean it hasn't been changed that kind of a thing i know some of the people might not still be with us but we have that those statistics but we do not have proper statistics like to say hey how many people live with diabetes in Zimbabwe? Mm. we just have estimations which is sad a little bit but that's something that needs to be changed yeah there's a lot of countries like that and it wasn't until recent actually that it wasn't i should say that long ago that the uae had a diabetic registry and even some other countries in the region, they still don't have, or you can always tell when someone gets a registry because then they have the numbers and suddenly they're in the top of the list and, you know, the idea of statistics. And that's sometimes because they never had any statistics before. So, so there's a lot to be said for making estimations. And are you faced with the challenges where you are that we often hear a lot about and we listen to during conferences and other things too? Are you faced with the challenges that we see in a lot of places, particularly in Africa and some other countries um, or continents, I should say, not grouping everyone together, but often we hear stories about access to insulin and oftentimes there it's happening in Africa. Do you and other people with diabetes in Zimbabwe face this challenge? Um, In my case, I'd say maybe I was a little bit fortunate enough to say since like I got diagnosed and I got um, connected with Zimbabwe Diabetes Association. So we have a program with Life for a Child. And it's very unfortunate that they only give, it's not unfortunate, but I mean, that's their age range. They say 25 Mm -hmm. years and below, they're the people that benefit. So I've always been getting stuff from there. When I joined Zimbabwe Diabetes Association in 2019, and prior to that, I was only using, like, depending on my parents, they would cater for everything. I mean, everything. And then when I got to, the, when I got to college in 2018, you usually have student cover, and they would ask me to say, Tino, because I was always staying on campus. They say, hey, Tino, do you have enough? What do you need? I mean, we can give you everything. It's not like anyone is coming to get them. I think you're the only one who uses this. And I would go to the school to make sure that before my insulin runs out, to say, hey, are you going to order another batch of insulin? Because I use that. You need to have this. Then they say, hey, we might not have money, but that kind of a thing. It was a bit solved. But yes, there are so many challenges in Zimbabwe to say with regards to the access to insulin. Yes, the supplies of insulin, they're improving a bit to say, yes, so many companies are coming on board to get insulin by the prices that they're charging because people are not, well, they're not really employed. The average salary in Zimbabwe is about 200 US dollars or less. So it's really sad. It's really sad. 
because insulin, if someone, there are people who might use, especially for people who use pencils, and they're going for $30, uh, and then for a pencil, you probably need it just for a week. So that would be, it will not be okay, because if you need, say, just to buy insulin, you need something like 220 US, and then the family's budget is about 200. So that would be sad. So some people mostly, almost all the families that use insulin, not just for type 1s, but even for type 2s, that have to use insulin once, they ration insulin. They have to ration because insulin is a bit expensive. And at times, the modern day insulin that people have to use, those are the ones that are really, really, especially the analogs, they are extremely expensive. So people might tend to say, yes, when I got diagnosed, I was using uh, the human insulin. So I'll just go back to it because I cannot afford this. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. So now those are the conversations that doctors usually have with their patients to say, before we change insulin, that could actually work for you because we are seeing that you're coming back to the hospital more often, getting readmitted because insulin is not really working. If we have to change, do you think you'll be able to afford it? That's the, the barrier that we Good have. Conversation. Because it's, a bit, it's a bit expensive for people to just switch to say, hey, I'll use this. There's so because you have to use so many type of insulin, mm-hmm. and you also have to to like sort of cover other basic necessities other than diabetes necessities. So yeah, that's it's a challenge, especially in Africa, because we do not manufacture insulin. We have to hundred percent. It's important. So imagine mm-hmm. that. Hopefully, there can be some manufactured soon, or something that can happen in the supply chain to make it more accessible and more affordable. It is very expensive. That is that is really always so frustrating to hear and not having like a, as me as a person, not having a solution for it or not seeing, you know, I'm sure there's people out there working on a solution, but it can't come soon enough for the people that actually need to, to afford it. Yeah. Very challenging. Definitely. That's like when my, our doctor here, I mean, we're very fortunate where we live, we have access And I had a discussion with a doctor once about my son uses an insulin pump and, you know, changing the, the insulin. I draw the insulin from a pen because if there's a vial, insulin will go wasted and I can't stand to throw insulin away for the reasons that you're telling me. I I refuse. And then also we had the deeper discussion where she said, well, you know, after three days, it's getting warm, just, you know, change it out. And I said, I, I said, I can't like, there are people on this planet that don't have access to insulin and dying. And then I'm, I'm going to like put that in the garbage. Like, no way we, we use it until, you know, it's finished. And maybe that's not considered best practice in some medical circles, but my heart breaks every time I have to throw a drop of insulin away for this reason. And it's so, actually a good thing that you also mentioned about insulin pumps. They're like in Africa, we do not have like you don't maybe have, yeah. from the people that use it, it's less than 10% entire Africa, less than, especially those groups that are super privileged. They can afford those. They can go to India, get those supplies yeah. like three months more often, that kind of a thing. But you do not have access to CGM, pumps. Kind of it's just insulin in the lab. Yeah, it's expensive. It's super. Our insurance doesn't cover it, and I know it's very expensive. And I can't imagine if you're making two hundred dollars a month, and that does not make sense to do that. So just you know, you can still have 
And I don't want to discourage people because so my son was diagnosed just kind of before at the time CGMs were coming on the market and we lived without a CGM for, for several years, but you can still have, if you have insulin and, you know, if you have access to devices to check your blood sugar regularly, you still can have very good results. So I don't sometimes want to, you know, if someone's out there listening and you feel discouraged because you see a lot of people with CGMs or the latest, you know, update, that doesn't mean that you can't like live well with, with diabetes. You, you can, it might require a little more effort to, to check or follow up, but, but it can happen. So yeah, very frustrating because there are no real easy solutions. They will take, they will take time. And that's why I think the work that you're doing is so great because you are a leader. You can, you know, motivate people and I think give them a lot of hope um, that they can live a full, wonderful life with diabetes as, as you do. Do you, so we started talking about this before and I said, wait, I want to talk about it while we're recording. So you are a certified diabetes educator and tell us a little bit more about that. Thank you so much for that question. That's uh, very amazing. Right, so in Zimbabwe, not just in Zimbabwe, or let me just say in Zimbabwe because I have uh, so much accurate information about this. We do not have certified diabetes educators in Zimbabwe because when someone is certified, you'd know about that person. Like, just like we know to say how many diabetologists we have, how many endocrinologists we have, we know that, and even the dietitian. So with, uh, yes, we work at the Zimbabwe Diabetes Association. We have people, they just call themselves diabetes educators or people that are working on organizations that focus on diabetes also. They will say we are diabetes educators, but they're not really certified. So in my case, I wanted to give myself sort of like relevance to say, yes, I'm an advocate. I have attended extraordinary conferences, courtesy of the DDoF voices, many thanks to them. I've attended so many conferences and the information that you usually have, not even a doctor, because I usually I see that in most of these conferences, I'm the only Zimbabwean there. Mm. We have so many doctors in Zim. They are not attending. Why are they not mm. attending to access such information? So in my case, like when I'm going out to speak, because I'm going to be involving with uh, sort of like a project that I'm going to be talking, usually I speak on radio, on TV. So people need to know, like, to say, okay, fine. If we actually listen to this person, who is that person really? I wanted to, so like, to clear the doubts, to say, hey, people, I mean, yes, I know I have the information that has been bestowed upon me. So for me to have sort of like confidence, not to be questioned by policymakers whatsoever, I have to have the certificates. I have to have the certificates. So it, it came a time, like, when I finished college, with uh, like I was just waiting for graduation, and then I said, what do I have to do? And then I saw like a flyer, there was an advice. It, it was a, sort of like an advertisement, that kind of a thing. But they're saying, hey, we only need nurses, doctors, that kind of a thing, to take them to do this course. And I was like, I don't have this. Then I just thought um, an application later, I said, hey, here I am, I'm this person. I've attended such and such a conference. I really need, it'll be amazing because in my country, we do not have certified ABC educator. It'll be a plus for me. And I think I'll even motivate others to do the same thing. Because people are just coming in to educate people, but they don't have the, the facts, right? So, I mean, how about if you take me? They said, okay, fine. 
let's give it a try. You are the first person that we are taking without the prerequisites that we look for. I mean, it was a good thing. And I'm so much grateful that they had to take me without the prerequisite that they needed. I just said, I'm an advocate. I've been involved. And these are the things that I do. And they accepted me. And now I'm a certified ABS educator. So I think that's a good thing because usually you get invited. Hey, can you come speak with us about this? Somebody has died. So we need you to educate people about this. Usually that's when you get opportunities to speak. Um, There's so many stations radios, newspapers, they want you to write an article about the challenges that we're having in Zimbabwe from your perspective because as a person living with uh, diabetes itself. So I guess it's something that has to merge. Diabetes educators have to be like, like sort of like from people, especially from people living with diabetes. They need to do this thing. That's how I love I that. It I, I think that's it. amazing. And I think also really smart and really observant of you to notice because I I've seen it and notice it that if you're not a doctor or a nurse, that oftentimes that in the medical field, especially if you're doing advocacy or leading communities or supporting people with diabetes or any other chronic condition, they may not take you so seriously. And I worked in healthcare all my life and there is that expertise. And, and I, I, you know, no disrespect to doctors, nurses, or anyone else that's dedicated their life to the science of, of medical care, because it is a very special position. But you're right to say that if you have that certificate, then they take you more seriously, or it or it will open a lot of doors much sooner than if you didn't have that, let's say, you would still get there, but it, it might take it might take some sometime a little bit longer. So I'm really, really happy that you pursued it. That's really amazing. And I think if other people are listening, should do the same. I have seen some certification programs out there for what they call like non-medical healthcare professionals, where they give you a kind of certificate program, I think it was. Um, I, I saw that once, I believe in like, for example, American Diabetes Association. And I actually considered to do that myself. Um, despite, you know, having a healthcare background and I thought for the same reasons I would do it, but then I, I just thought that's not my mission at this time because of the time. So I didn't do it, but I still think about it all the time. Some people might say you don't need any more certifications, but if you want to get the attention of people, I think to, to lean into your organization and listen to you and help you, I mean, and you're living with this every day. So you have a different, you have a different kind of expertise that nobody else probably has. Because before they give you, before they give you a chance to speak, they'll say, hey, who are you? They need to know the background. Where are you coming from? Yeah. So if you have those things, go, wow. Okay. Speak to us. Yeah. They'll be interested. Yeah. Plus, I think it also shows your dedication to the topic. In addition to people, you know, it's not the necessarily the respect factor. But someone, you know, might say, why are you getting a certification? You don't need it. But it actually shows that you are dedicated to continuously learning more. Maybe there were a couple of things that, you know, you maybe didn't know and you would learn. But um, it, it shows that you're you're dedicated to the topic and what you do, which is wonderful. And when I met you at ISPAD, so I think this is such a testament to the kind of advocate you are you missed your graduation to come to ISPAD 
You didn't right. go to your graduation yeah. ceremony. You came um, to ISPAD instead. Oh, that is like, let me take you back a little bit because I think all my life I've always had to make sacrifices and I've always been making like tough decisions. Always, always. Just my case, because usually whenever there was a conference, because usually I get invited to attend conferences and also be a speaker, the kind of a thing, sharing my experience. So usually I would say I have exams because I always had exams. I would always have exams during the time when I was still in college. Thank God it's we're finished with that one. Because of now, and now came graduation. We had a tentative date goal, like to say graduation is going to be done on this date, but it can it's subject to change. The conference, I knew it didn't have a change. And there was so much planning. I, I was looking forward to do so many things, not just my podcast, but also I was invited. I mean, it was an honor, really, to be invited by the executive board and the, and the advisory council for ISPAD. They wanted me to present a proposal that I had for the patient advocates on how basically they can be welcomed. I mean, they're doing so much great work. Many thanks to them. So I said, I cannot really miss those. Graduation, yes, it's a once in a while. But I think I can sacrifice graduation for this time because all my times I had to sacrifice conferences, important conferences for school. I couldn't miss exams, mm. of course. I mean, if it was for exam, I wouldn't have missed it again. And then I would pre-record my session and then send. So this time I said, no way, I'll sacrifice graduation. And then I'll take my gown. I mean, I think it was epic because I took some nice pictures with a nice background that we have in Abu Dhabi. So I think it was worthwhile, but yeah, many, so many people with questions to say, what? What did you do? But people think that I actually celebrated my graduation in style. And I think I'm, I'm a bit proud about that. It was amazing, really. It was amazing. Yeah, I think so, you should yeah. be really proud. And the I found the meeting at ISPAD, it was so informative. I Great. always learned so much by going to these sessions and listening to listening to the new research people are doing what's up and coming and how people are addressing problems all around the world. But also this is the first time I've seen that many advocates in a medical conference, which was amazing. And there were two um, advocacy panels, which was also really good. So I think, you know, in the, in my opinion, in the context of your mission and what you want to do, I think it was really a great choice. And we wouldn't have met, but, you know, that's selfish, oh, selfish be- reasons. But um, <laughs> but definitely, I think, you know, as an advocate and then, you know, moving forward with whatever you want to do, I'm sure that the connections that you made there will probably help a lot. Definitely. Definitely. And then also, I asked you a question. I think at the end of the meeting, I asked you what you want to do next. And I'll, I'll ask you that again so people can hear. Like, now that you've graduated, what's your plan? Wow, this is amazing. And I guess asked this question a lot. When I was actually on internship, my bosses, or the people that I was working with, I don't usually like to use the word boss, the people that I was working with, they always say, Tino, I think you're going to have sort of like a, much of a challenge or a problem trying to choose whether you should pursue with your career or like with your profession, like with your career or the things that you're much passionate about. And then I said, okay, fine. How about if I think, yes, I'm a person living with diabetes. I've turned that into a passion. I'm not passionate about this. So, but if I turn my passion into a career. So now that I've graduated with something uh, that is a bit, like it has background in finance, financial intelligence, I don't regret ever choosing that uh, field, so to say, I'll use that experience somehow. And then now, I've applied already for the master's and I think I'll be in the UK, United Kingdom, 
I've applied for a health policy, a master's in science and health policy. Already I was accepted. That is a great thing. So I'll just, I'm just keeping fingers crossed to say, hopefully, because I chose like two programs. You said that I'm going to be in the public health sector or health policy, just to try and make sure that like we make changes that are noticeable in my country, because I know we don't have a specific health policy, especially to diabetes, not just diabetes, but non-communicable disease. I think it can play a much greater role, but of course I'll use my experience in finance that I have. But now what is ahead is masters in something that is related to health. That's been the thing. And that's the thing that I want to help do to say, I think it's sort of like came as a calling. I have to do this. I'm passionate about it. Even if I'm told to wake up at 3 a.m. to do an interview, I can do that. No questions asked. But when I'm doing something that I don't like, I have to be paid so much. Like something that I have to sweat doing because I know I can uh, mix things running like in the finance field, but I need to be like sort of like getting paid. But in diabetes, well, I don't have to because it's something I... Our contributions are needed. We need to get involved as a team together to make the change that we need so that the future generations could have a good life. That's beautiful. I love, I'm sure that we will see a lot of change in the future as a result if you go into policy or public health, definitely. So I'm really excited that you're pursuing that because I think they need more people like you in public health and policy to to be the driving force of change, which I think that's what you really are, not just for Zimbabwe, but I'm sure for other countries too. Thank you so much. Let's see how it goes. Let's see. Let's see. So we'll we'll have to do another interview after a couple of years, and then we can say yeah. this because because I know you'll have more to talk about after even a year's time with the stuff that you've done. So that's for. Right. So for people that want to make a change um, or people that have like lived experience, as you put it, what do you recommend they do if they want to, you know, they know that things need to change. Sometimes I see advocates, they're not sure where to start or what to do or someone living with a condition and they know that things have to change. What, what do you suggest that they do? What are some of the first steps they can take? Wow, this is a difficult question, and uh, but I think that there's not one only way that we can. So I think like advocacy doesn't have to be boring, so to say. You'd have like sort of like to just get involved. What is what are things happening in your community? Get involved with the communities that are actually interested in the things that you're interested in. If you want to do it, I mean, because I mean, so many people ask questions. So how do I have to start? So because like when you're looking at coach firm, you're looking at people like people that already in the game you'd look like okay fine how can i do the things that they're doing you don't have to do what they're doing do what you feel like you need to do fill the space because there's so much we need so many hands on deck we need so many hands yes the thing that i'm doing is something that i i felt i should do to play a part there's so many things we can come together as a team get engaged to create the change that we need and there's not one way we can advocate there's not one way we can be impactful in this community let's do anything we need to do everything. We need people that can write. We need people that can convince even policymakers. If you're a negotiator, we need those skills. Give advices to people. Come on board. Let's work together. Because only when we do come up together, that's when the change can be necessary. That's when the change can happen. Otherwise, without that, we'll still speak, keep on speaking of these things to say, these are the challenges that we have. These are the challenges that we have. So we just need to come up together and do whatever you want to do, whatever you feel needs to be done. It has to be done through you and by you. I love that. 
That's really beautiful. And I like that you highlight the importance of coming together as a community because I run my organization as a business, but you, some people call it social entrepreneurship or different things like this, but depending on who you're speaking to, and they're not always necessarily advocates, but there are companies out there that they see, you know, everything as a competition. And I'm like, nobody's going to win at diabetes. Right. And as you yeah. so beautifully pointed out there, there, everyone has something that they can bring to the table. Everyone has a talent or a skill or an offering that they can share that will make the community better. If, if, you know, and this is more from like the private organization perspective that if you're out there and just wanting to like win the market share or like, as I say, nobody's going to win at diabetes because there's enough diabetes for everyone to go around. And if we all come together, we are so much stronger. So I really love that you highlighted that community and collaboration are kind of like two keywords of mine. And I, I love those so much. And I love that you're very focused on that. And, and we've seen it through the work you're doing with DDoc, with um, there's other groups, the League of Diathletes. Um, uh, there's uh, so many that through numbers, we are much stronger together. So that's that's a really beautiful thing. And I would encourage people that if they're curious to reach out to you, actually to, you know, learn more and we'll have how to, to find you and connect with you in the show notes. Because I'm sure that you could probably share a lot with people if if they're still not sure where to begin. Thank so, you. Thank you for that. Wow, no, that that's is amazing. Yep. And you and you have your own podcast or video um, video blog. Tell us tell us about that and how did when did you decide to start that and what do you I've seen you interview many people but what do you tend to focus on and and where do you think you're going to go with that in the future. Wow, this is amazing, beautiful question. Thank you for asking the question. Right, so I started, when I got involved, I started off by just writing a summary. And then I felt like, I think I like doing this. I love writing things. I think I should do this more often, not just writing about the things that would have happened, but also maybe writing from the experiences of people. I love when I'm writing. I love like to ask people from their different perspective to say, not just in Africa, but international diabetes community to say, hey, how do you handle this issue? How do you handle this issue? And then we come up together, we write articles, and not just do I have, not only do I put on my blog, at times I write for other organizations like media houses, newspaper articles, and then I publish with them, that kind of thing. And of course, they just say, okay, fine, we collected this information from him. But not that I need credit for it. I mean, it's something that as long as people hear the voices, that would be a great thing. Right. So with the podcast now, because I attended this one session, like they were just teaching people to say young people, I think we need to teach about blogging and podcasting. I didn't know I would wanted to do this. I didn't think that I would be doing this. I was just listening and then we got certificates of attendance. Then I thought, what if I do this? Because I started like researching to say, who is doing this? Do we also have people in Zimbabwe who are doing this thing or it's something that is lacking? That's when I felt, okay, fine. I think I need to fill this space. Let me just do it because I think I'm passionate about it. The time that you have to put preparing to get questions firstly. So I think I recorded three episodes of my own. I was just by myself trying to educate people using the ESPAD guidelines. I gave credit to that. Nice. Just giving guidelines to say, hey, this is what you need to do. It's not like you have to do this, but it's something that you can rely on if you don't have any way to rely on. Then with the podcast, 
for about nine months or so, we were recording like um, audio podcasts. And then I said, I think because people now, I was now researching to people because I love always, it's good to get feedback from people to say, what do you think? Do you think we should continue with the audio? And then they said, okay, I think people really love to watch, not just to listen. They love to watch and listen. They need to connect with you, the emotions, everything about it. Then I said, okay, fine. How about if we start the videos? So the video thing is something that started like, you know, in October, we were doing podcasts, like audio podcasts. But I think I'm kind of liking it a little bit because, I mean, people say, hey, congratulations for studying the videos. And I'm saying, wow, this is amazing. So if people are liking it, maybe let's try to do it. But of course, in December, we are taking a break and then just reflect on the things that people have seen. So many thanks to the people that have come on board, that have collaborated with me. I love collaborations, like just like you pointed out. They are amazing. You don't know everything, but you need people to get involved, like reach out with your network and then build signages that can actually be impactful because you never know who is listening. We needed to hear that. I mean, they would share if they feel that like this is relevant because you cannot really sort of like uh, cover every subject in diabetes. I mean, diabetes is broad, even in doctors. So that is serious. They haven't figured it out all. So we need to do that. We need to come up together and just do something, whatever, however you feel it. In your own flow. I mean, nobody is telling you to say, do it this way, but also get feedback from people to say, are they liking it? Do you change? Should you change the approach, the way you ask questions, that kind of a thing? Yeah, and I think that's um, how it's going. So, like, my vision, I mean, because you asked about it, so, like, I want to encourage, to help encourage, educate, and inspire the diabetes community so that we can come up together with the people, like, especially from people living with diabetes, they can share their experiences. To say, hey, I've lived with diabetes for five years. These are the things that I've been doing. I've not been back in the hospital. And also we get healthcare providers to share their expert opinions because usually for people to go see them, they would have to pay for consultation. But there are other doctors that are amazing, that are mm-hmm. amazing. Of course, I would mention those that have brought on this podcast, like Pat, Professor Pat, oh my God, he's amazing. So they love to share information to say, you'd have to do this way. These are the things. I mean, it's sort of like a, a tycoon in advocacy and we get so much inspiration from people like that. Um, also, Dr. Kate, Dr. Katarina, those people, mm-hmm. I mean, they'll share their expert opinions because they're healthcare providers. They're also like, like for some, they're actually patient living with diabetes and then they had to manage it. They had to do it. So I think uh, they bring so much information that is needed, that is missing in this community that can be found for free. So yeah, that's about yeah. the podcast and the blogging. No, that's great. I do like that. And I like that you have a mix of people living with diabetes and then also healthcare experts. Because every time I listen to either one, I'll always learn something, like something new, which is good. And it's an entertaining way to learn as well, because you're enjoying the conversation. Sometimes you learn more about the person. Um, And a lot of people that I found that, especially the doctors in ISPAD, one, they surprised me. They have endless energy. I felt like from the early morning until night, like we were go, go, go. And they are so collaborative. They love sharing information. They, you know, they will come on your podcast and share their expertise. Um, And when you mentioned the ISPAD guidelines, I just saw, I think it was earlier this week, they announced they release a new chapter to the guidelines. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Yeah. About managing diabetes in challenging environments. I'm super excited to have a look at those because I think that's much needed. 
Um, so I haven't looked that, that one up yet, but I thought that one will definitely help a lot of people. And that's the thing I, I, I like about experts that are collaborative because they want to help everyone. It's not just one group of people. So really no, they actually, and about the guidelines at the moment, they're actually still out for review. People can actually comment. Like in my case, if I want to, because I'm an ESPAD member, I can actually go and comment to say, I think mm-hmm. we have to do it this way, that kind of a thing. So they'll release chapter by chapter. And if people have comments, they'll be put in the book. Yeah, yeah. they they do listen, which is which is wonderful. Yeah. Excellent. So I really appreciated our time together. And I wanted to ask you the question of what motivates you. But I think through a lot of your answers, we've heard so many different things. And that's inspiring others and encouraging them to, to live well with diabetes. But if you had to sum up what inspires you to keep going when maybe some days it's seeming very challenging, what, what would, how would you answer that? Thank you so much. The way that I, I think it's a difficult question, but I'll try to use my words to put words together. What I felt, I thought like maybe, because since I got diagnosed in 2010, I felt like I've been living in my own bubble, but I needed to get out of my comfort zones. Yes, you might have the privileges by yourself. You might not have any lake, but you'd have to get involved to see, okay, what is the community missing? There are so many challenges that people are facing. At times, you'd have to pay for insulin for somebody who is lake. And so we need to get those information. We need to get those things out to make sure that people are hearing about it because Problems might not be addressed because nobody's speaking up for them. There's no voice to it. I mean, I'm not just a voice to the people without the voice, but also to people with the voice. So we felt like maybe if we do come up together to raise awareness, to say these are the challenges that we have, the challenges that people are facing living with diabetes. I felt like, wow, because there were so many other people that are already out there, people with uh, privileges more than I do, that are actually advocating. So I said what if I do this? I, I realized I could use my voice to challenge, to speak about diabetes, raise awareness, and also try to help challenge to sort of like solve the problems that we have in a way just by speaking about it. I think a problem that has been half discussed is half solved because now you'll be pointing out like when you're going to policymakers, I'm not just saying, hey, you're making a mistake. I'll be saying, hey, I think if you do it this way, I'll be putting on suggestions so that if they hear about it, they might like it. If they don't, then we'll keep on raising about, talking about it, trying to motivate others so that we can raise another people, like voices, people that are better than me, so that we can come up together and see how things would work out. Because if we are coming up together, I know they'll listen. The world is waiting to hear those things. And I mean, because other people will be saying, hey, thank you so much. You get encouraged by the international community. In the international community, they support the things that you're doing. So if you have such support, people that are encouraging you to do it, uh, keep moving and keep going. Keep uh, Make the changes and uh, do whatever you can with your power, with your energy and your time. So that uh, with the hate list, we solve these problems. So that the next generations would not have to face these things that we are facing right now. Because if I hadn't been privileged like I am, probably I would be rationing insulin more often. Probably I would have died. But since I'm not, I think I have to also get involved, put my hands and see how we can make the changes that I needed. Yeah. I love that. And yeah, I mean, it's a the world is a much better place because you are here and it's only going to get better. So thank wow. you so much for that. 
Really? And there's a quote that I think I missed this quote. There's a guy who said, uh, yes, we are in this world, but we need to live it a little bit better than we found it. It doesn't have to go back the way it was. I mean, try to make a change to say yeah. when you die, like when you go, maybe somewhere, when you're no longer on earth, you'll say at last, there was a person, people talk about you to say, hey, he was doing this. I think let's carry on the mission. Let's carry it forward. Not just motivate others as you do a thing so that others can actually see the light. Not just for you to be an expert. Whenever they need someone to speak about, they'll just call you. They should call somebody else. That kind of thing. And then work together. Mm-hmm. Not sort of like to say, hey, I need to be the only one. I think yeah. that, that's the thing. That's how we go. We need yeah, to for sure. For sure. Getting others involved. Yeah. I'm a big fan of leaving it better than you found it and opening the path for others so that they can continue or so that it's a little bit easier for them. And, and I'm sure, you know, as you're very focused in policy change and public health as well, changing it for the better for maybe not necessarily those who want to advocate, but those who are going to live with, with diabetes and other chronic conditions. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It was great to hear a little bit more about your story and what you're doing. And I'm sure we'll we'll probably see you, hopefully, if I can continue to, to do the podcast for seasons to come. I can't wait to have you back on the show so we can talk about new, exciting things that you're working on. Thank you so much, Coach Pam, for having me. Thank you for the amazing questions. I felt like the interview was just flowing with everything. Thank you so much for your energy. And your perspective as a caregiver with the thing that Thank you, you with the people Thank that you're bringing on the show. That is amazing. We Thank get inspired. You. It's my pleasure Thank always. Thank you so much for joining me. I told you Tino was special. He is doing so much. And when I asked him what he wants to do for the future, and he told me that he would like to possibly study public health or something like this, I got so excited because a person like Tino in a public health or a public health policy position, someone that's actually having lived experience, but so much depth and knowledge and who's so collaborative and already been a part of so many organizations and he's already done so much to change things. That is only going to make the world a better place. I often tell a lot of advocates I meet with diabetes that the world is a better place because they're in it. And Tino is definitely one of those people. So Tino, thank you again so much for joining us. We're so honored and happy to know you, and we can't wait to see what you do in the future.